For July 13th, 2009, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 54. He's a rampaging beast. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably does not deserve. I am your host, Matthew Rather, and I spent much of the weekend on a boat. On a Try. boat. Look at me. I'm on a mother effing boat. Uh, that's right. Our longtime companion and part time overthinker, uh, Schechner, was the second overthinker to enter the state of matrimony. So uh, you can send him your congratulations at Schechner at overthinkingit.com. I hope he doesn't think I violated his privacy terribly. But, you know, hey, if you live in public the way that we live in public, you know, <laughs> you really have no privacy anymore. Isn't that right? No, that's not the question. I'm joined by the panel of overthinkers for the question of the week, which is what industry deserves a mockumentary. Uh, Bruno, the mockumentary of the fashion industry uh, that also makes fun of gay people, or rather makes fun of making fun of gay people, making fun of gay people, making fun of making fun of gay people, making fun of gay of fun making people. Uh, <laughs> Which makes it okay. Right, yeah, I mean, obviously, God, only a Philistine would think otherwise. But one person who is no Philistine, uh, only because his last name starts with an F and not a PH, is Peter Fenzel, restored to his rightful place uh, at the head of the podcast, the first in alphabetical order, Mr. Peter yes. Fenzel. Uh, May those dark days never return. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Although I want Blinky to come back, but uh, maybe we can change his name to X Blinky. Like, get rid of sleep. He gets bumped to the end of the line. Um, I'm going to answer the American railroad conductor industry and retreat. I want to see a movie about a railroad conductor and their duties and the level of seriousness with which they take their jobs. Because I was riding a lot of Amtrak this weekend, and uh, I have to say, I think there's trials and there's tribulations. And if there's anything else other than trials, tribulations, and irrelevancy that's needed for a mockumentary, I don't know what it is. No, hold on. I don't know that... I I don't know. Pete, I'm going to say, like, I don't know. Not to... I don't mean to jump down your throat here, but... They're not irrelevant. Like, they, well, I guess the ticket-taking function is irrelevant. The safety well, yeah. function is not irrelevant <laughs> because, well, what, like, wait, so- train crashes are are gruesome. And like, one happened. One happened this year, right? Yeah, but it wasn't caused by a train conductor. It was caused by a train engineer. <laughs> well, okay, there's a good point. <laughs> no, like, so when I ride the uh, when I ride the New Jersey Transit train back home on holidays, it's often so crowded that they never can get through and actually take your tickets. Um, so it, in that way, it's kind of superfluous. But I guess with mockumentaries, it's not meant as an insult because I think we we love these people. You know, like best in show people who have dogs. We love them. We're not against people who have dogs, but there's a side of that that's frivolous. I love dog. Having a dog. Yeah. You, you love dog? It's delicious? Is that what you're saying? You must love dogs. Oh, that's, you know, I was going to lie to you guys, but the truth about cats and dogs is... <laughs> uh, that only dogs go to heaven and the cats go to hell. I brought my friend Marley with me. Um, they might not make it to the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, let me just, uh, let me just chime in and say Beverly Hills Chihuahua. 
<laughs> and scene. Stokes, FTW. Uh, train conductors. Excellent answer from, uh, from Mr. Peter Fenzel. We move on now because I have been bad at this before. Uh, next in the alphabet is Mr. Mark Lee. How are you? You didn't ride Amtrak this weekend, did you? Uh, I did not. I rode the, uh, the New York City Transit, the subways, though, um, which uh, they have conductors, too, and there's a whole other that could go did you, off. On did you take thing. the subway out to the boat? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, and I, T-Pain was singing, I'm on a subway uh, with, with me. Um, <laughs> I'm, on I'm on a train. I'm on a train. On a train. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, <laughs> I want to less fun. I <laughs> know <laughs> it's quite not quite as, as glamorous as being on a boat with my backpack and my ticket puncher. <laughs> I got so, balls. Uh, I got striped overalls. I kind of take issue with with uh, with the, defining like Borat and Bruno as being not mockumentaries, but we need to come back to that later. Um, if we want to, I had to suggest an industry that is deserving of the mockumentary. Well, certainly it's the um, the fledgling niche industry of. Um, you know, amateur writers who are publishing themselves on the internet via <laughs> mechanisms such as blogs, um, you know, and trying to, you know, vie for fame and fortune. In other words, I think someone's making a mockumentary about us because that'd be hilarious. <laughs> well, we <laughs> are. We are indeed <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, this is Wh- true. Which was- Mark, don't you think people who self-publish in print are funnier than people who self-publish in, in the internet? <laughs> Why, why would you know, it's much less, uh, much less, you know, relevant. No one really wants to see a documentary about James Joyce at this point. I don't think. <laughs> well, he, I mean, you are speaking wait, to a what certain did, wait, J- Jordan, what did what did Joyce self-publish? Didn't he self-publish one of like the two books that he's known for? I'm, I can swear that this is true. Well, he wrote like three books in Toto, didn't he? Like that, you know. So if he self-published. Yeah, no. He was sitting inside. He was a guy who loved dogs. (laughs) And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Uh, Booyah! I can can confirm for you guys, thanks to homepageventures.com, that Anthony Joyce is a self-published author. The writer writer of uh, The Awakening of Billy Bonkle. Um, which uh, is a oh book. that finally came out oh good yeah <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> the the first sentence of the page is funny if as the saying goes we really do all have a novel in us Anthony Joyce should be our inspiration as to what we should do about it well, uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad he sweet. set that up as a as a uh, hypothetical imperative you know so <laughs> if, if we if we disagree with the first premise we can stop reading right yeah exactly exactly, exactly. Uh, all right so. Uh, yeah, the mockumentary about bloggers. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, no, for sure. Though, I mean, I I think that so much blogging lapses into self-parody, and we as bloggers, I gotta say, overthinking it is like by f- is you know doesn't even make it over the median as far as the ridiculous things that bloggers say and do. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. John Perich. What up? What up? What up? You what? were not. You were not uh, on a boat, and you know it's. It I is, was. I was not on a boat. No, I'm sure it's intended it. as no slight, it, and I don't want to make you feel awkward about it. It's just that all the writers <laughs> on Overthinking It were like really close college friends, except for you. Should I? No, no, no. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> I was not on a boat this weekend to to settle 
uh, to settle a discussion that's been going on in, in regular emails and podcasts. I was I was out west with uh, with Adam testing the myth uh, whether or not smoking a banana in an oven will produce <laughs> something that gets you high. And let me and let me tell you, folks, that myth is definitively busted. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the, the comparison between me and, and Jamie Heineman, although, frankly, I'd, I don't hear it. But if, if other folks hear it, that's fine. Uh, and no, I'm not going to grow a mustache for you. Anyway. So, sorry, answering the question, uh, which subject needs a mockumentary? You could, know? You, could you grow a mustache like my facial hair as a blonde person? Uh, a, I'm discriminated against on a day-to-day basis, and so I know, you know, I know the pain of, of say, a Rosa Parks. But B... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, 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 Blondie, that's enough out of you, all <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Just, that's just, what I'm talking just about. Sit, sit in the corner and look pretty, okay? Yeah, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> right. I, can, I can do half of that. Uh, but, um, you know, B, I can't grow facial hair for S, you know? And so I get a... I grow a I grow, Did you say for S? For you know, S? Well, we can't say... We can't... Uh, I want to keep our iTunes clean rating, or at least, for you know... I cannot, for I cannot uh, I cannot grow facial hair for doo-doo. So, uh, you know. Man, listen to that. Listen to that toe head, man. That toe head <laughs> just keeps talking crazy. I know. So. Sit in the corner, Blondie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to answer your question, subject most needing of a mockumentary, you know, astronauts. They've, they've been riding high on the horse too long. <laughs> I, I take issue with the notion that mockumentaries are, you know, necessarily... Uh, cruel or taunting. I believe they are, and I believe astronauts definitely need taunting. You know, because, I mean, let's let's look at the safety rating and success rating of the American Space Shuttle program. We've got, what, like, you know, 1 in 20, 1 in 50 space flights that ends, you know, in a catastrophic failure? Come on, guys. Let's, let's take them down a peg. <laughs> and, and don't forget the crazy woman in diapers driving a cross-country business. Yes, a- yes, you know, whatever happened to her? Let's let's get her let's get her in front of a camera and make her the face of American rocketry. What was the let's thing, do that. What was the thing of, of the, about the diapers? It was that she didn't want to make pit stops. Yes. <laughs> okay. Also also she was crazy. <laughs> right. No, that part that part I got. Um all right, Mr. Jordan Stokes, mockumentary. Um, you know, when I was fresh out of college, I got a job working at Borders Books and Music, one of the sort of like glossy nationwide chain bookstores. And that's kind of an insane place to work because the company is big enough that they have a mission statement and a lot of policies and it's very shiny on the outside, then none of the people that work there from, you know, the lowly shelf stocker to the manager of the store gives a damn. And I think that uh, to sort of pull that, uh, pull that rock back and look at all of the bugs crawling around underneath it. Could make for a pretty entertaining hour. Can you, I mean, without violating the terms of what must be an ironclad non-disclosure agreement, can you tell us something, uh, some kind of fun fact about life inside the, life inside the borders or if you will, outside the borders of the borders? Ah. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, let's see, what would be a good thing to tell you? That what uh, what books are carried in there are uh, mostly the result of what seems like payola. Um, 
that you, you know, what stock you get is determined at the national level. So regardless of whether a particular title is selling in your store, right. boxes of it will continue to come in and come in and come in. And um, all of the staff picks, which theoretically exist in stores like that, you know, it'll say we recommend our uh, purchased advertising space. Wow. So, so, so there is no local buyer, or there's no local person who controls the inventory. There is a certain amount of wiggle room. Like if you're selling a lot of something and you say we need more of it, you can do that. But it's mandated that you will carry like, you know, a, a metric ton uh, of the Da Vinci Code. I mean, that was fine that we carried that. We sold the entire metric ton of Da Vinci Code. But um, there's an author, uh, Neil Stevenson, who is a science fiction author. His books tend to be bestsellers when they come out. But I think that basically people just buy them off the Internet. Because if you're the kind of person who's going to be a Neil Stevenson fan, you're going to be doing your shopping online. Sure. Um, And each of these books, it weighs about, like, 20 pounds. And we would get stacks of them in. And they would sit there, and then we would pack them back up in boxes and mail them back, uh, presumably to be pulped. Ah, how, uh, how high did you climb in the, in the border's ladder? Um, I was on the bottom rung, and I stayed there, and then I left. Okay. But it was it yeah, so you <laughs> left. You left before you could move up to, you know, I don't know, uh, full lieutenant yeah. or something. You know, yeah, and which is probably just as well. I mean, you know, I haven't uh, stormed any, I haven't climbed any corporate ladder all that high. But looking at those next few rungs and borders, it didn't seem like a happy place to be. Hey, hey Jordan, I want to um, ask you a question about those the picks that you mentioned. You said that they were weren't really staff picks; that they were just kind of, you know, concocted by by the corporate overloads or over, overlords. Um, that's how we. That's how we do our picks, by the way. Uh, when we when we present like you know pop culture picks on this show, we, you know it's the result of massive payola, and we are all really getting rich off this show. Oh, so by the way, drink Snapple; it's so good. <laughs> um, anyway, but I, I seem to recall a Belinky saying that he had heard a story from you that um, there was uh, the, in the context of staff picks that like staff were able to put together their own trilogy of DVDs. Yes. At some point, you actually were able to put, make your own pick. That's true. And it wasn't held, held, handed down by the corporate overloads. So maybe you should yeah. uh, take a start from here. They, they ran a promotion where you could buy two DVDs and get a third one free. Um, and there were some sort of corporately mandated box sets that you would put together um, and put out for people to buy. And then there were little cardboard blank boxes you could give to a customer and they're like, you can make your own trilogy and you get the third one free. And the staff were encouraged to creatively pick three movies that would go together. Um, and... Uh, you know, if you were able to actually sell your trilogy that you made, you'd get bragging rights. And if nothing else, it made people aware that you could get the two and then the third one for free, right? This came at a low point in my sort of uh, arc of enthusiasm for my career at Borders, which started very high, so I wanted to have some job, right? Um, and then kind of uh, kind of dipped. Um here, your joie de vivre was not where it was before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, my, my trilogy was the three damn copies of Triple X box set. 
XXX, XXX, and XXX. <laughs> Somehow I didn't manage to sell that to anyone. Wait, wait, wait. It, was just, it, was just, it was just three copies of the one movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look, if you, if you paid for two of them, you'd get the third for free. I mean. <laughs> oh, the things you do for your country. <laughs> right? Oh, man. That's awesome. That is pretty That's cool. nine X's. That's nine X's. That's like the best tic-tac-toe game ever. Or, yeah, or like the and- dirtiest movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> we were already talking about oh, I like. I like yours better. <laughs> it's the most one-sided tic-tac-toe upset, you know? <laughs> oh, God, trounced. <laughs> that first step was really, you're like the Allen Iverson of tic-tac-toe. You're putting down nine symbols before the first person leaves their feet. It's, yeah. uh, it's impressive. Hey, can we loop back to a question I had earlier, which was, is Borat or uh, Bruno, the Sasha, two last two Sasha Baron Cohen movies, do we really consider those to be do- mockumentaries? Wait, wait, do I, do I get to answer this question? Oh, I'm sorry. Are you, we were, there, was a, you know, there was a pregnant pause there. Oh, sorry. Oh, look, no, look, I mean, Blondie, Blondie wants to weigh in. Oh, look. Bleachy over here wants to talk. <laughs> Why don't you open your pretty little mouth and say, tell us what's on your mind? Do you want a, uh, a mockumentary of the frosted your, tips? Your Malibu <laughs> dream house? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to live in Malibu next year. I may live in Venice, though. The you know the uh, the home of surfer and skate culture. In uh, so I'm going to talk for the rest of the podcast like this. No, I here's well here's the thing. Hey. Like. Hey Matt, can we have another whole podcast about local suburban California geography? Because that would that would really knock me off my A. <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, first, F you. Harry <laughs> <Parry> repost. <laughs> um. And. Uh, and uh, secondly, yes, absolutely. I think the podcast, I think it was a high point, the podcast about, but you see, there was a point to that. It was about how Reseda, the setting of Reseda, is actually really important to the meaning of the Karate Kid movie. Uh, right, right, right. It couldn't be any other community in Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley. It had to be Reseda, at least according to guest podcaster Al St. Germain, who we saw this weekend on a boat. <laughs> who and that guy that guy now works for uh for the companies that put uh entertainment on <laughs> on airplanes so if your favorite you know if your favorite movie is censored or something like that send send us an email and i'll make sure your voice is heard no uh starbucks 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 and starbucks right like uh and and I think less working inside of Starbucks, like all really all large organizations, like Jordan was saying, have you know what mission statements and practice best practices and like you know a, a, a level of you know a level of mission oriented bombast that does not seem to comport with the daily grind. Huh, see what I did there? Grind of uh of, you know, brewing brewing coffee and selling it for $4 a cup. But um but I think more the people who go to Starbucks, people like me, who are uh frankly kind of ridiculous. Uh and you know, I don't know, work on like work on screenplays, right? On their MacBook Pro. Or something like that, right? Or uh, I don't know, 
I don't know what people do in Starbucks anymore, other than write screenplays. What do people do in Starbucks? Papers. I guess so. Yeah. Right. And so that, like, you know, the people who really make it's in the internal Starbucks literature. There is this this concept that they call. Uh, the third place that people have two places they have like home and work, but um, you know that they need a third place, like a, a place to go, uh, perhaps a place where everybody knows your name. They don't know my name at Starbucks. No, I guess they know my name at, at Starbucks. They don't even know what to call a medium coffee for Christ's sake. <laughs> How are they know my name? I'm sorry. Uh, are you suggesting that you make a mockumentary about the cast of Cheers? <laughs> That would be pretty yeah. interesting. Because sort of, sort of, where are they now? Because where are they now? Uh, well, Ted Danson was on Damages for a little while. And Danny That's DeVito's on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And uh, Danny DeVito was in Cheers. Oh no, I'm sorry. That was Rhea Perlman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Take that, Rhea Pearl. <laughs> You're not letting her off easy tonight. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Bam, 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 bam. Uh, I think that, uh, what's his name? Clavin is now like a pundit for uh, for Fox News or something, isn't he? Or at least he popped up somewhere um, pontificating about stem cell research or something like that. Or the death of Michael Jackson. Uh, so, uh, the the sixth podcaster is you, uh, which is kind of like being the fifth Beatle, but you know, it still is you. So, uh, if you have anything you want to say, if you want to propose your own mockumentary or you violently disagree, uh, with us or think that our podcast is pedantic and badly written, you can, uh, email us at podcast at Use the contact form on the site, leave a comment on the show notes, uh, on the site or call the voicemail at 20 eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. We got a comment, a private comment, not to be played on the show, uh, that, you know, that listener feedback had been taking over and indeed it did like 48, 49, 50. I think we really, uh, uh, it really, it really took over, and so we're we're we are back to overthinking particular uh, particular topics relevant to the popular culture, and maybe every four weeks or so we'll do a listener feedback uh, episode, which means the last last episode. This is we're recording. What are we recording now? Fifty four. You know, I really should Something know like this. that, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, well, you shouldn't, then... you shouldn't bring it up if you don't know which, how many, because we don't have to talk about it. Well, no, I guess not. Right, we... But, uh... <laughs> so that means if we're... So 53 was listener feedback. This is 54, 5, 6, and so 57 will be the next listener feedback episode. So... Mark your calendars! Mark your calendars! <laughs> Although we're going to get... Don't don't let that stop you from writing in if you have something really interesting to say because I think that's what that's why listener feedback took over for so long because we were just getting besieged by interesting emails. So I mean we'll space them out now, but don't don't stop yourself from writing in if you have something really cool to say. Oh right, yeah, no, absolutely. And hey, if it's cooler than us, which is not hard, or cooler than me anyway. I don't know. I'm blonde. The rest of the guys, you know, cooler than the rest of the non-blonde guys. Uh, you know, four four non blondes. I'm, I'm glad we got there at the same time, Pete. Good. I'm glad. I was worried the lag on the recording here was going to interfere with our ability to nail it precisely simultaneously. <laughs> oh, we got it. Uh, then we'll def we'll you know preempt it. Whatever, whatever. We play by our own rules. We're not constrained by any format. 
But, uh, but yes, no. So you can, you can continue in your podcast subscription knowing that we will be overthinking the popular culture. So let's, let's, let's talk about these. I mean, so Mark, what is the argument against Bruno and Borat, Borat as mockumentaries? Well, the main argument against that is that there are, you know, there are, certain, there, there are moments of the movie which are, um, you know, not staged, which are, you know, real actual happenings. That are being that are being captured in a film. In, in other words, like there's this kind of uneasy. Let me let me first let's start with the kind of gold standard of the mockumentary, right? This is Spinal Tap, right? Right, right. It is a completely a work of fiction, but shot in the style of a documentary to make it appear as if it is a documentary, right? Right. Now, yes. we, we just look like like Borat. Um, Borat is, uh, you know, he it is an actor playing uh, someone that which he is not. Right, so that in is there is an element of fiction there, but he exists and operates in many instances in a um, in, in the real world in the non in the non fiction world. Now, certainly there again, as we know, went back before, there are elements of that which are staged. But you know, when he goes to visit the like the southern plantation home, right? You know, those people aren't acting, right? The ones who who bore out offense by taking a poop and bringing it back, you know, to the fancy dinner table. They are right. acting. Um, so in, in some sense, you know, it's, it's not so much mockumentary as it is just kind of, uh, I don't know what exactly the word is for this here, but it's kind of like almost a hidden camera, just like playing a prank on somebody, you know? I don't, like, I don't understand why that was funny. Capturing that on, on, capturing that on film. Playing, 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 playing a prank on someone and capturing someone on film is not a mockumentary. That's okay. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That it's a practical joke. Yeah. Or you could say this is a documentary of what happens when you unleash Sasha Baron Cohen on people, right? Like, well, a, yeah. docu- a documentary with a D. Yeah, that's what I said. I think, yeah. No, no, it is. It is. Yeah. I'm emphasizing what you said. Right, right. So to, to, to play devil's advocate here, since, I, since you're absolutely right and I have no contradiction to any of your points, I'm going to resort to ad hominem attacks. Uh, <laughs> Have did you uh, have you ever thrown any sort of medals over a fence? <laughs> did you do that at any point? Because that would be grounds for um, no. Yeah, they're not mockumentaries. I mean, Borat. The beginning of Borat's a mockumentary um, because he he mm. does the whole thing about my life in Kazakhstan, which is entirely fictional. So the first like twenty minutes or so of Borat is a mockumentary. I haven't seen Bruno. I don't know if any of that is a mockumentary, but uh, I think it's just a fun word to say. So we brought it up in a circumstance where perhaps it was not pressingly relevant. I don't know. Does anybody on the call actually think that those movies are mockumentaries? Perch? No, I, I'm, I'm with you on this. They're, they're elaborately staged pranks, uh, which I think is part of their appeal, which I think is part of what makes them funny when they're funny and uncomfortable when they're uncomfortable. But I, I, I wouldn't say it's a, I wouldn't say it's a mockumentary or even really a documentary, except in a very abstracted sort of, you know, watching humans in their natural environment sort of thing. I mean, Jamie Kennedy had to call it an experiment because he couldn't come up with a genre name for it. So, and if Jamie Kennedy can't do it, the rest yes, of us the, lowly mortals, that, we're just doing that literate, <laughs> that literate auteur, Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> I hope he self-publishes a book because I would buy that and level <laughs> my television with. You know what? You're just making fun of him because he's blonde. <laughs> it, look, fair enough. Fair enough. Look, look. Rather, I've got several blonde friends. All right, this isn't an issue. <laughs> Uh, to be yes. fair, I'm looking at the uh, the mockumentary uh, page on no, I'm the entry on mockumentaries in Wikipedia, 
it does list both Borat and Bruno as comedic examples of the mockumentary. Well, how um, could that how is, could that is until I log in and edit those the hell out of there? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> We've been proved wrong, you know? I mean, hey, hey, can I change my answer to what <laughs> industry needs a freaking mockumentary? Wiki- Wikipedia. That is what <laughs> You know, that's, that's something we could reasonably do. I mean, we're, we're artistically talented people. We can pose as nerds obsessed with detail. It'd be a bit of a stretch, but we could do it. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we could, we could knock up, you know, a quick 10 minute mockumentary and post on YouTube, you know, behind the, behind the scenes at Wikipedia. Mm. Could we do that thing they do in movies sometimes where like the inside of the computer is all crazy and like three dimensional and like really visually compelling and like to edit something you have to get past some sort of crazy space computer angel uh, and everybody has avatars of themselves in tank tops. Yeah, yeah. You know what it's like it's like uh, it's like house, right? Like the 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 CGI like of the of the inside of the body. Oh yeah. On yeah, house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. No, I was thinking of the movie that I think is the silliest example of this, although there's so many silly ones, is uh, Disclosure. Did you guys ever see Disclosure? I love Disclosure. It's ridiculous. What is it about? It, uh, is, it it about like, is it about like, uh, some kind of paperwork compliance or something like that? <laughs> sort of. Michael Douglas plays a, uh, an executive, and Demi Moore plays a young, hot female executive who sexually harasses him. Uh, and it's basically about like what happened if a woman sexually harassed a man and like nobody believes him and uh, and except that it also involves a great deal of really really high concept like unrealistic computer hacking for no reason so uh, no it's the way the line she harassed me came from uh, which I know is quoted by some of my friends more frequently than some of the other people that you guys know it's, uh, it also, it also it's, includes the best use of a versa climber on film that I've ever seen but uh, that's a, that's a small. What list. is a versa climber? Oh, it's an exercise machine that's like very early '90s, uh, very sort of like um, post stairmaster, where you it looks sort of like a uh, looks sort of like a broken piece of a banister. Uh, you've got like a, a long straighty thing that goes straight up, and it's got handles on the sides, and it's got footy things on the sides, and they slide. Right, so like you, each side slides independently of the other, and they go back and forth. So it's like you're climbing a ladder. Um, My analogy to the stairmaster is basically the ladder master, right? Yes, exists the ladder master. They call it the versa climber because ladder master was taken (laughs) (laughs) by me. And so, what do they like? Do they do it on the on the ladder master? No, no, she has one in her office, and it's like this very. It's it's from a very different time in gender relations, but yeah, like she works out on this versa climber in her office and is all like intense and physical and sexual in a way that like a lot of people were not comfortable with women being in the office. And she's um, also and so wait for it climbing the ladder. Oh, oh. I hadn't even thought of that. That's nice actually very on the nose. Yeah, you haven't seen the movie yet. You should totally see it. <laughs> I don't... Uh... To me, more movies are great. <laughs> Smolders. <laughs> and Michael Douglas movies are great also, because he molders. <laughs> they, don't do, they do each of them. Oh. It's <laughs> poor. Poor Catherine Zeta-Jones. Hey, Catherine Zeta-Jones, I know you listen to the, bo- to the podcast. You can always <laughs> come and, like, I'll go out with you, you know. If Michael is tired, mm. right, if he's kind of in for the night, just give me a call. 
at 20 eat log zero one. <laughs> 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 oh. Mind you, we won't, uh, we, won't, we won't play your message for a couple of weeks because we're trying to move away from the reader <laughs> I was going to say, that would be a really daring civil rights move if she were to go out with a blonde guy. It would break down some barriers. Yeah, hey, Pete, uh, Pete only likes House because it's set in New Jersey. And everyone's like, yo, I can't get my ticket taken on the train. Yo, it's all crowded. And, and S. <laughs> <laughs> Has this become like the world's worst self-published James Joyce novel? Like, what's going on right now? <laughs> uh, all right. So, um... Uh, we actually planned some things to talk about tonight, right? Uh, you know, can I segue? Yes. I had a great segue lined up. Do it. We have to, we have to first turn back the clock to when we were talking about mockumentaries. Yes. Right? <laughs> so, you know. Hey! we had at that point, I'll change it. So, like, speaking of things that kind of blur the distinction between an event that's actually happening and an event that's being staged, uh, Ultimate Fighting and world, uh, Worldwide Wrestling Entertainment. Yes, yes. There was a there was a UFC 100. It's 100th tournament pay per view event thing uh, this past Saturday. And that stands and for is- that stands for what? Ultimate Fighting Championship? Championship. Okay. Yes. And what is the like? What is the organization called? The like the governing organization of the sport? Uh, it. Well, I mean they. It's sort of they just govern, own the name. They own the, they own the name yeah. Ultimate Fighting, I guess, right? Like, right. I mean, there's there's a limited liability corporation called Zufa, Z-U-F-F-A, that owns the UFC. Okay. But I mean, it, it's not UFC is not a not a type of fighting. I mean, it's it's a mixed martial arts organization. So, if that's so what you're asking, okay. So that like as Kleenex is to tissue. Uh, UFC is to mix mixed martial mar- arts, right? Yeah. Okay. Sort of, yeah. That's that's sort of how it comes about. Got it. So, okay, yeah. I understand. I'm going to be asking these stupid questions throughout the evening because uh, I know nothing about this. I know nothing about this sport. No, no, no but it's fine. Bl- yeah, you make the blonde jokes pretty- way too easy. Way too easy on the blonde jokes, man. <laughs> 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 I'm going to have to back off, or my sister's going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the one of the interesting things about uh, about UFC 100, uh, I thought, was that the sort of the big event of the night was the heavyweight title defense of uh, Brock Lesnar against Frank Mir. Brock Lesnar being interesting because he spent many years uh, as a pro wrestler in the WWE, so he made the transition from professional wrestling, which, as we all know, is staged, to the to the UFC, which. Probably isn't staged. I mean, I, I'm. I don't think it's staged. Although, really, it's only a matter of years before someone starts. Before someone comes up with that idea. But that's you know that's neither here nor there. Uh, the point. The point is. As you so certainly, if they are staging it at this point, they're they're staging some awfully boring fights, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a lot cooler. There's way true. too few jump kicks in the current UFC <laughs> stage. That's true. I am. Also, I am I'm not sincerely accusing the UFC of being staged, so don't worry. Is there a now, narrative like professional wrestling? Is it like there are dynasties or alliances or things like this that, that you follow and, you know, you go up and down with the characters? You mean like not, Tom Brady? 
You mean like Tom Brady or like like Turl Owens and stuff like that? Like other kinds of athletes sort of, that are narrativized or like sort of. I mean, yeah, like like Pete's getting at there are there are strong personalities. Brock Lesnar being an excellent example. Uh, you know, last night after after successfully defending his title, uh, the you know the audience booed him more or less universally because he's not a very well liked man. Uh, at which point he at which point he declared he was going to quote go home and drink a Coors Light. Close quote, which was controversial only in that Bud Light was very prominently sponsoring last night's event, uh, and then, and then quote maybe even get on top of my wife. Close quote. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not going to do much while I'm up there, but you know. now, so <laughs> so I I bring all this up. I bring all this up because a it's hilarious and b. Uh, I'm wondering now that you know Brock Lesnar, a very successful professional wrestler, now the heavyweight champion of the UFC, are we going to start seeing more of that sort of showmanship and that deliberate staginess? Because being a being a WWE vet, Brock Lesnar has to know the importance of like taking the heel role or being you know being publicly the villain and playing that up so that his stock rises and that so he gets talked about more often. And I'm sure a lot of the, the pre-sales of this pay-per-view event were in part to see Brock Lesnar fight. So do you, I'm wondering, you know, if the, the if the other people on the podcast who listen to UFC, and I know there are many of us, but do you do you think we're going to see more staginess now? Do you think we've we've already seen some some state like not staged as in faked, but staged as in you know deliberately played up for showman aspects? Uh, type fights? What do, you, what do you think? Theatricality, right? I think that um, what's interesting here is there's that uh, the reality show, right? The Ultimate Fighter, where uh, right. it has like the, the basic sort of uh, genetic material of the reality show. We have a bunch of people who are competing, and they're all living in a house, and they're basically competing to be the last one in the house. Um, except that what they were doing there is they would have them, you know, fight each other, and gradually as they got beat up, uh, they would sort of separate it out and until there's one person who's the winner of that season of The Ultimate Fighter. And there, I mean, I've seen a, a little of that, and they do a lot of trying to play up narratives. Um, I don't think that it's coming from the people on the show so much as it's coming from the producers and the editors who will kind of like say, oh, well, these guys are such good friends, oh, well, these guys are like, um, you know, they hate each other so much, so it's going to be a really good fight. But there's definitely a lot of it there, and you've got to imagine that anyone who comes through that Right and has that kind of grooming for the camera is going to be a little bit more theatrical in their uh, in their actual like later career as a fighter, right? That makes sense. Uh, I mean that 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 does make a lot of sense. And you know, as people as people as you say are groomed through that, that trend would sort of seep in. Although I can't think of I can't think of a lot of Ultimate Fighter veterans who uh, who have gone on to a lot of uh, demanding success in the. In the in the rest of the league, I mean, that's kind of uh, the problem with the show, right? It doesn't seem to be very good at actually identifying yeah. someone who can really like whoop whoop butt. Well, I, I take that back. Forrest Griffin, uh, Forrest Griffin was on the first season of The Ultimate Fighter, and he's he's still a very successful competitor. And so I guess it's like American Idol, and that you know the first person who does it becomes hugely popular, and then everyone in subsequent seasons is less and less popular until you know you get the the last seasons of American Idol where. I, I don't know. Have any of them produced songs yet? Oh, wait, Jordan Sparks. Yeah, okay. I, I, I won American Idol last season, actually, and I'm, I'm still here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I, I meant to watch that episode. I'm sorry, Mark. I was, 
yeah, I was busy. The, the, other, the other guy was gay. That was the only reason you won, Mark. You didn't really <laughs> And clearly you've climbed to the very top of the entertainment industry. So, you know, I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> you know, America America just wasn't ready for a blonde American idol. They just weren't. They just couldn't handle it. Yeah. But they were ready for uh, an Asian one, apparently. <laughs> Wait, you're Asian? Let us join with... together, my brother minority. <laughs> right. <laughs> You have tasted the, the blood of, of you have tasted the, the bitterness of oppression. Have you not? Right. You know yeah. that it tastes like dog. Uh, that's oh, not, you did not oh. get off on the right foot. You did not oh, get off on the right oh, foot. Oh, wow. That's not the way to do it. Wow. Um, can I can I go back and take issue with one thing that, that John said a little bit earlier? And I do this with all due respect. With no, all due respect. But the one thing that I really take issue with was when you said that Brock Lesnar was a really, really good professional wrestler. <laughs> and also that he wrestled for many years. Because Brock Lesnar was a WWE wrestler for two years, and he was really, really bad. I don't know. Uh, maybe I was the only overthinker who was watching a lot of professional wrestling between 2002 and 2004. But um, Brock Lesnar had this thing. like He was this huge guy in like NCAA wrestling. Like a, and he was enormous right and like they brought him on and they did this thing where he didn't talk and he had this other guy uh, Paul Heyman who would talk for him and call him the next big thing and he was always going to come out here and he would leer at people and he would look all scary and he just did this for a while like never talked and the reason he never talked is because as you've explained and, and described for us when he opens his mouth he's an idiot right like, <laughs> he, he, like, he, talk, he, he like is not really intimidating he, he like just sort of says random stuff now if Brock Lesnar is listening to the podcast Podcast. Brock, this is actually a promo. I'm ch- I'm calling you out for overthinking it over the ropes. 2009, our pay-per-view fighting event, where I'm going to tap out in the first 15 seconds, and you're going to win our four-dollar cash prize. So, you know, please don't take it personally. But seriously. Um, once he actually started talking, walking Bro- watching Brock Lesnar on camera talk was one of the most awkward things that I've experienced as a short-lived fan of wrestling. Um, and uh, and uh, he, I think he, he hurt himself badly by screwing up a move. Uh, he, he, uh, he took The Rock out, right? But I guess that's, they set him up as the replacement for The Rock, basically. Right? Yeah. They set him up to be the thing, the guy would come in after The Rock. And, I mean, he left before The Rock was really even gone, I mean, for that long, right? Maybe for a little while. Um, yeah. Hulk Hogan was a bigger star than Brock Lesnar uh, after Brock Lesnar left. Um, wow. Although I might be getting my timelines a little bit crossed. It was like a very brief moment. It was when we were still in college. Um, so I'm not surprised he went back to real wrestling. But, well, you were, um, you, was, were, you were still in college, which is probably yeah, why you had true. all that time to write, you know, to, to watch wrestling. <laughs> they also called him the Manster, I think, um, which is Good. just ridiculous. I've actually seen a, uh, a beat horror movie called The Manster. It's about a Japanese scientist who creates a sort of two-headed, joined-at-the-shoulder, man-beast gorilla thing, I believe. Wow. Um, has, have you, have so, you guys heard you know, about Human Centipede? Did we someone talk about this on the site, or did I hear about it somewhere else? You heard, you heard about it somewhere else. I heard about what? it from the same place you did, Pete. 
uh, oh yeah, yeah, the Human Centipede. It's a Korean horror movie about somebody who takes a whole bunch of people and sews their mouths to their butts and breaks their kneecaps so that they become a giant human centipede. Um, I'm not really sure what the narrative force of the movie is, but it certainly doesn't sound like very much fun to watch. It's a for- the narrative force of the movie is the force of a bolus making it through the gastrointestinal tract of the, of the the human centipede. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I'm sorry that I gave you that image, but it should be... It should at least take some solace in the fact that that's more pleasant to think about than watching Brock Lesnar do a promo for No Way Out. Uh, There's this one time that Brock Lesnar had to push a guy in a wheelchair down a flight of stairs, and he took, like, 15 minutes to do it. And, like, it was really very awkward and and very difficult because he was, like, sort of yelling at him, but he couldn't get angry enough because he's kind of, you know, not that emotionally present. Um, Anyway... Well, Somebody, I, yeah. I will tell you, I will tell you, Pete, that, that Brock Lesnar was certainly scary last night. Although, in the sense of you know, you couldn't see a lot going on behind his eyes except an abject desire to kill another human being. So, yeah. I mean, that was that was terrifying. But I th- I think in a less stagey, more how did how did we let this thug into the ring sense? And I would yeah. also, while so we're I, here, like to like to correct an earlier misstatement I made about uh, winners of the Ultimate Fighter not going on to bigger merit things. Uh, I was apparently wrong in three instances. Uh, Forrest Griffin, who's a very successful fighter, uh, Rashad Evans, who's also still very competitive, and uh, Michael Bisping, who got knocked the F out last night uh, <laughs> UFC 100. Yeah, he, he, took a, he took a flying right to the jaw and was unconscious before he hit the mat. It was... Uh, Google it if, if you can find video online, although... UFC is actually pretty rigorous about taking down YouTube or, you know, Metafilter or Metacafe postings of, of their content. But if you can see it, you know, Michael Bisping getting knocked out, UFC 100, it's a tragic thing. That's all I have to say about that. So, so basically, I, I'm going to say that Brock Lesnar was never really a successful a professional wrestler just because he only played himself. You know, he had no versatility. He had no range. You know, and, uh, <laughs> When he played that rampaging beast who just wanted to body slam people and like push handicap people, well, that flights of stairs. Uh, you, you know, he was just he was drawing on his own personal experiences. So. And the thing is that it's not like the standards for professional wrestling acting are all that high, right? Like, <laughs> They're really not. You're saying I don't know, the Rock that, has gone on to a, a pretty successful film career. Well, no, the it thing is, is the, though, that, like when you when you would go back and watch the wrestling events that the Rock took part in, that he acted circles around. Everyone there. And I don't mean just when he was delivering his lines. Like, The Rock acting like man standing in a wrestling ring, he put so much more sort of uh, conviction into that than, say, even the other stars of his sort of generation, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know? Like, The the Rock stood there like it meant something. And you can really understand why he went on to Hollywood. But what Pete is saying, I think, is not that uh, that Brock Lesnar couldn't live up to The Rock, but that, uh, you know, when you look at the example set by, say, The big show that uh brock lesnar failed to meet that right i i I think yeah yeah you also haven't seen a little movie called the condemned um which stars stone cold steve austin (laughs) prison island of some sort uh no 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 you're right but i know a lot of professional wrestlers do go on to hollywood but they tend to do smaller films you know independent artsy projects like universal soldier the return uh with goldberg (laughs) in it and, uh, um, of course, Suburban Commando, um, but Mr. Nanny and all that stuff. But that's a different kettle of fish. Right. Hulksters. 
I want to backtrack to something that uh, the Hurt was saying about how Brock Lesnar seems like sort of an inhuman beast. I do think that that narrative is one that we've seen in, uh, in mixed martial arts before. Like, if you think of um, Bob Sapp's career as a as a UFC fighter, right? This a guy yeah. who um, I forget what football team he played for, but uh, he, you know he had a, a little bit of success and then some very humiliating defeats. He was hyped up a lot as this kind of like, well, in this very racist way, as this like giant black guy who would uh, punch people very hard. He didn't have any particular technical skill as a fighter. And I mean, if you look around at the promos, there's a lot of, frankly, unpleasant um, discussion of him as this sort of you know non-human monster. And then uh, I've heard the same thing about. There's uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. There's a Croatian uh, fighter who was actually a commander and like their special forces and then uh, Mirko Krokop yeah that's the guy Krokop is not his last name that's Croatian cop hyphenated his last name is like Filipovic or something like that so I think that the fact that he's called Mirko Krokop like he has this monster name right um, or, or like, or more not really a monster name but a the name that you'd get if he was a Mortal Kombat character Right? Um, It's the same kind of narrativization. So, again, though, it's something that doesn't really require the the fighter themselves to do anything other than, like, you know, beat people to a pulp, which they're going to do anyway. And then you can, like, clip clip together a highlight reel that makes them look as inhuman as you possibly can make them look. It's it's interesting you bring that up regarding Bob Sapp because... uh, it reminds me of an article I read several years ago about professional sports in general, not just the UFC, uh, which asserted, and I think had, had done some research to back it up, that that black athletes are more often described as, you know, in, in adjectives like beasts or animals or ferocious, whereas, you know, white athletes are more often described as talents or, you know, commanding or precise or things like that. In other words... That sports writers and sportscasters will often, and I would, I would hope unintentionally, turn toward that more, you know, playing up the savagery and the animalism if it's if it's a black athlete, which is, which is tragic if it's true, but in, in light of in light of the Bob Sapp thing makes sense. Now, in all fairness, sometimes. I was going to say, in all fairness, sometimes black athletes are described as refrigerators. True. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and, and and when it when it goes to when it goes to inanimate objects, that is the cruelest racism of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask whether it like uh, it ha- it controlled for the sports. Um, like, it, will we not live in a nation of equality until like Roger Federer is a rampaging beast of precise <laughs> and virtuosic tennis ability? And I'm going to see Phil Mickelson tear up the fairway. Tiger Woods is an animal. He's no one calls that's racist. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. That's it. Wouldn't even have to be intentional, though, right? Like there's 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 a body of psychological research about the unconscious bases of prejudice and like people's inability, or I guess I should say white people's inability. Uh, to associate good qualities with with black people on an unconscious uh, level, which just goes I, just goes to show that you know we're all effed up like uh, before we even begin to make decisions about our level of effed upness. 
I mean, you can take back that white people parenthetical because I think the research shows it's pretty pervasive and that, like, the, the negative images definitely filter through the culture so that, you know, people get on the same page with people who are selling them short, you know, and start thinking that they are actually have the traits that people say that they have. You know, you, people believe the hype like they tried to with Brock Lesnar for a couple of years. Um. Speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of things that... Speaking of things that uh, black people get in trouble for, but white people can often get away with, uh, Michael Phelps, um, <laughs> who, who, who lost a lot of sponsorships for, for being caught smoking pot, uh, got, a, got a new sponsorship recently. He was in a Subway commercial that, that has been making the rounds of TV and the internet. Uh, and he was also uh, recently in the, uh, at the U.S. National Championships uh, this past week on Thursday where he, he broke the 100-meter the butterfly record. Well, he, had, he didn't, I mean, like, I assume that's a record he already set before, right? Like, how many, let's be honest here, what, like, swimming records does Michael Michael Phelps not have at uh, this point? Well, according <laughs> to... <laughs> it's really interesting that, like, uh, apparently the skill set for breaststroke is very different from the skill set for other swimming. So there was an interview with, like, the, the reigning uh, breaststroke champion. It was this Japanese guy, I can't remember his name, who was saying, like, yeah, I'm really glad that Michael Phelps isn't the breaststroke guy, you know, because, like, <laughs> I'm not sure if I could handle him, but, you know. <laughs> good, good to know. But uh, yeah. but yeah, apparently according Marco to Marco Polo, this, he I mean he hasn't I've... won at he hasn't won at Marco Polo yet. That's true. He has not. Chicken fights, you know, standing sitting on somebody's shoulders. Uh, I think that Brock Lesnar actually has that type. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wait, but he's, I he's a real dick whenever he fights. So, so no, one, no one wants to play. Well, actually, with him. I think the dick is actually kind of pertinent to the conversation here because, like, the point of chicken <laughs> fights was That's what she said. That's well, right. What she like said. the point of chicken fights, at least like in college, was that you could get a girl. <laughs> <laughs> you could get a girl to sit on your shoulders. Right, uh, you. So the, the the sweet spot for you for chicken fights was your college years. <laughs> like, I'm so, I mean, you know, sunrise, sunset, and all that. But I mean, you had a, a lot of quality chicken fight years ahead that you could have taken advantage of. See, this is I feel about chicken fights the way the rest of you feel about sex, which is that there's no reason not to start early. <laughs> no, no, this is true. This is true. But you have to be safe. You have to use proper precautions because otherwise, people are going to get concussions and pregnant, and you don't want. How do you how do you uh, practice safe chicken fight? Uh, you wrap yourself in plastic before you jump in the pool. I think that's what happens. And you, you um, always wait forty five minutes after eating. Mm-hmm. And the girl is on top. Yes, <laughs> definitely <laughs> reduces the chances of conception. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about Michael Phelps for a minute. Um, I found a couple of things very interesting about that spot that I saw the the subway spot. First, I don't, did, did you all watch How I Met Your Mother ever? No, uh, I say no. Uh, ever, ever, yes. All right, they, they had a, a running gag where they say that. I mean, sort of the conceit of the show is the guy is talking about his life as a young twenty-something to his kids, right. and he. A lot of the things that the show covers are things you would never talk to your kids about. Uh, they only occasionally make make the audience aware of this, and that's when they talk about uh, drug use, specifically smoking pot. Whenever one of the characters on the show smokes pot, uh, the narrator will say in kind of an awkward voice, uh, you know, he was 
eating a sandwich. And then you'll see uh, the character like holding the sandwich as if it was a water pipe and taking a big bite and then giggling at something. So uh, to me, as a fan of the show, watching Michael Phelps like bite down into that Subway sub, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> float on, crazy diamond. <laughs> nice. That is nice. Uh, the second thing is that uh, the music that they play over yes, that yes, spot. Yes, yes, yes. I was, I was going to comment. Uh, Thank you for bringing up. Yeah, right? It's Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again by the, the noted drug-using band Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, what were you going to say about it? I mean, since I've, I've brought it up, John, you seem to have something uh, to add. I, I mean, literally literally just that. I mean, the, the chorus is really the only part most people recognize, and it's the only part they play in the commercial. And... You know, it, it's it's a pretty clear implication. You know, after having taken so many months off from performance and sponsorship, Michael Phelps is allowed to be himself again, and he's he's grateful to, I guess, the Subway Corporation uh, for for allowing that to happen. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I read it slightly differently because I mean, what they show him doing in the uh, in the ad is swimming and then eating a sandwich. And I guess what you were saying is like uh, that the Subway Corporation is letting him be a champion again. I yes. saw it as America is letting him do the two things that he does, which is a swim hella fast, <laughs> b sponsor stuff. Mm. Yes. Oh, so I wait. thought you were, I thought you were about to say I thought you were going to go in a totally different direction and say b eat 10,000 calories a day. <laughs> which, which he does as well, yes. That's, that's also yes. a good point. So wait, so he, he doesn't eat the sandwich before he goes in the pool, right? Because there are children out there that are watching this commercial and horrible things can happen. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, he, he really is sending the bad message combining eating with swimming. That's, that's yeah. just irresponsible. Irresponsible, no, Michael he, Phelps. He, he only eats after swimming, and he actually sits down at the... Uh, he sits down at the table with Jared, and I think the juxtaposition of Jared and Michael Phelps is interesting, right? Like, because Jared has this sort of redemptive weight loss narrative that's common in a lot of uh, sort of pop cultural weight loss narratives, where it's seen as a, like a combination of like personal victory, you know, uh, victory of willpower. I, you know, I finally came to my senses, or I finally took control, or I finally stopped doing the bad thing that, you know, I know was hurting me and so many other people around me. Whereas, you know, the science is like, the science is actually more like overeating at that level is, um, is is actually more like drug addiction, where it, where it's kind of out of out of control of the the person doing it, and that's why it you know is so uh, you know that's why it's so pernicious. But um, you know, but that's so like and so like Michael Phelps is like in a way that he he's like lost a lot of weight or he's been redeemed by something, and his his presence next to a, a prominent weight loss figure seems to emphasize this for me or maybe i'm just overthinking it mm. well that but would be appropriate i think yes I, I think that's i think that's valid overthink so yeah mm. yeah uh, i don't know i i thought the whole thing was was bull s anyway so you know what i can I can I go on a quick tangent? I know we discourage tangents, and just tangents because tangents tear apart the glue that holds this podcast together. But uh, I, I wanted to go back to swimming and eating for just a hot second, <laughs> because swimming and eating is one of those things where I, I feel like they indoctrinate you with it when you're a kid even better than they do like religious concepts, right? It's like one of those like incontrovertible facts and truths, which is that you don't eat 
uh, swim, like less than 30 minutes after you eat or whatever. And it, something similar to that, one of those incontrovertible truths was the occasion of the only time I've ever written an angry letter to Ar- Anderson Cooper, um, which was uh, during one of the California wild- wildfires. He uh, had somebody on from a pet shelter who was taking care of the pets who were orphaned by the California wildfires. And near the and he was like phoning in the interview. He wasn't even really looking at the camera. He was like looking at his notes and trying to figure out what he was doing next. And he asked the woman um, if, as a parting note, is there anything that people should do uh, to, you know, in the event that there's a wildfire in their area for their pet? And then she said, yes, the top priority and the first thing that you should think about doing is making sure that your pets are safe. And, like, this made me blow a gasket because that's one of the incontrovertible facts. When you're a kid and they say, don't go back into the house after the cats, you know, like, you take care of the people, you know, I don't know. What do you guys say? Were you taught that as kids? Like, not to run back into the burning building to save your dog. Like, leave that for the professionals because yeah, you're just going to get don't run, I mean, yeah, but it was also, like, don't run into the burning building to save your baby sister either, right? Leave that to the professionals too. Well, well, true. Also, like, don't go and get your photo album before you leave. Like, grab, you know, go out the door, directly out the door, evacuate, like, stay low, because if you stay in the house, you're going to inhale fumes and pass out. Um, don't, like, go hunting for Fluffy and, right. and try and to better, get Yeah, yeah, and better, I mean, better one dead little sister than a dead little sister and a dead big brother, right? Like, you, you blogs are awful. You're awful people. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Not, not no, no. That's too sensitive. It's not that blondes are awful people. It's that Rather is an awful person. <laughs> <laughs> He's a beast. He's a rampaging beast. He's a wild man. He's a manster. It's that blondes tend. It's that blondes tend to be awful people, but that's not prejudging that any individual blonde (laughs) is necessarily an awful person. There's a standard deviation of awfultude, and it's just a broader distribution for blondes than it is for regular people. And since you only notice the people on the extremes, uh, that's the Larry Summers argument um, (laughs) to get everybody. Uh, But anyway, to get back to. To get back to childhood safety advice for uh, for a moment, <laughs> which is really you know. the topic of this podcast. When you get right down to it, I'm glad. We I know. Well, it. we were we were giving co- we were writing like a college advice column for several weeks there. <laughs> I don't know if you recall that about ten episodes ago. This podcast mandate keeps changing. It, the mandate keeps changing. <laughs> well, but. you go to war with the podcast you have, not the. Uh... <laughs> You want. But, I mean, yeah, you, you get that advice, like you know, don't run back into the house when it's on fire to you know to save your to save your kids or whatnot. But I, but I don't know. I think some of that we can call into question, and not to get not to get too morbid for a minute. But it's it's been eight years, so I feel safe. Uh, you know, the the September 11th attacks. You know, you always hear you know in the event of a fire or another emergency, don't use the elevators to get out of the building. But most of the people who followed that advice uh, in the World Trade Center raisings didn't get out of the building. Uh, it was the folks who used the elevators who got to the ground first. Mm. And I, I, I read an article in, not the Atlantic, it might have been the Atlantic, that, that called attention to that fact. That, you know, maybe, maybe there's an argument to be made for, for not so slavishly following authority. Because, you know, in this case, if you ignored what you've been told your whole life and trusted your instincts, you got out okay. Now, Grant, that's, a very, that's kind of a broad generalization from a very narrow instance, but, you know, it's, it's relevant to the point. It's you know, also, though, I mean, terrorist attack is such a special case of emergency. True. Right. True. That, like, it's, it's almost like there couldn't be rules that apply because the circumstances are so, uh, are so unique each time. And, uh-huh. and so unique. the DSA I guess keeps so. trying. 
Well, and yet the TSA and, and the Department of Homeland Security keep trying. Right. Ugh. Yeah. So, so are you saying that we should actually just get straight to the rolling and not bother stopping or dropping in the first place? We should abandon our slavish adherence to these old rules and customs? You know, there's, uh, no, there's no reason why rolling in midair couldn't extinguish a fire, except for, you know, <laughs> except for, you know physics and heat transfer and right. all that. But otherwise... Yeah, no, the lack of the, lack of the, uh, the putting out the oxygen... Uh, hey, you know who knows something about rolling? Michael uh, Phelps. Uh, no, we we already did that segment. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry, it's because I'm All blonde. we saw him do was that one shot, uh, was the photograph of him using a bong, right? We don't right. know for a fact if he actually knows how to roll his own joints or not. True. You raise an excellent point. Michael I mean, Phelps, I call you out. Do you know how to roll your own joints? Call us at 20 eat log <laughs> 01 and let us know. Wait, who's calling? Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Phelps. Can we are- get a three-way call? Can we and get like, a conference Lesner, call? Right? And Brock Lesnar is going to call because he's going to beat me up for, call- for calling him a bad professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> That would be that would be one hell of a roundtable. Michael Phelps, Catherine Zeta Jones, and Brock Lesnar. Next all. week on Overthinking <laughs> It. Don't miss it. Set your VCR early. Definitely. <laughs> I think that should be a, a cop movie, actually. Where uh, <laughs> basically writes itself. I don't what, need to sign you know, the rules. You know what you call it? You call it BLT bacon, lettuce, and tomato. <laughs> 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 Three cops, one sandwich that they eat instead of because <laughs> they're all such big eaters. Yeah, exactly. Michael Phelps eats as the chief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, if you agree, disagree, or want to, you know, tell blonde jokes or something, or you know, want to stick up for blonde rights which is a campaign, campaign that I am single-handedly going to start, you can uh, use the contact form on the site. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. You can email us at podcastoverthinkingit.com. You can call 20eatlog01. That's 283-285-6401. And as always... Visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Nice work, Blondie.